anyone can preach on heroes in the Bible. What about the bad guys and the bad girls, right? Okay, there we go. There we go. Trouble in paradise. Here we go. So we're, we're starting a new sermon series on villains, the people that did wrong, because we can learn a lot from heroes, but we can also learn from some of these cautionary tales, the people that maybe colored outside the lines. And I, I think as we start looking at these different character studies, and we start looking at the context of each of these villains, and maybe some of their, uh, I don't know, some of their motives that were kind of off kilter, you're going to see two reoccurring themes that keep coming up. Number one, anyone can become a villain who selfishly hurts or destroys others. If you're in it for yourself, boy, you can slide over into this villain category. But the second thing we need to understand, and we'll see it come up time and time again, is God can redeem even the worst of villains. So you're saying there's hope. Yes, I am. There is. God can redeem anyone. Well, if you're a fan of old westerns, right, you kind of can tell the good guys from the bad guys by their hats, or if you're a fan of Tombstone, you know, the good guys were all dressed in, in black, and the, the bad guys, the cowboys, had the red sashes. So you're like, okay, there's good guys over here, and then there's bad guys over here. Is it that cut and dry? Is it that clear that you're in one category or another? You know, Scripture really portrays human beings as being complex. That if you think about it, sometimes we're both good and we're evil at the same time. Hopefully we're trending towards becoming more and more Christ-like. But Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that we're image bearers. We're made in the image of our Heavenly Father and to have the ability to love and to show kindness to, to be generous when needs come up, and, and certainly to display courage. All of those are admirable traits. But because of the fall in Genesis 3, we're human beings corrupted by sin. And we have the capacity for violence. We have the capacity for hate, for jealousy, and, and certainly vices that we would say are outside the will of God. And so we find ourselves in this tension between good and I want us to watch for these things. Well, because of the events that are going on in our nation and even in our own community, I actually have added an additional week onto this and are starting at kind of an awkward time. But as we're, we're looking at the events that have broken our hearts and have divided our nation, I just feel like we need to spend a little time. We don't need to quickly gloss over and, and, and hope for a new news cycle that we can talk about something else. That if we're going to go through this pain, I hope as a congregation that each of us individuals but also collectively can grow through this and we can be better on the other side. So I want us to look at this and really allow God to weigh in. That we don't receive our talking point or our scripts that we're living out from our favorite news outlet. But instead allowing God to say, let me show you my heart. Let me show you what I think is important. And let's move from there. As we go through these difficult times allowing God to speak. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want us to go to a lesser known passage in Numbers chapter 12. 
that I think will help us see the very heart of our Heavenly Father. But before we get to that text, I want to give a little bit of background. If you look through all of Scripture, when God chooses leaders, especially in the Old Testament, He chose prophets and priests and kings to empower, to lead God's people. He gave them a special dispensation of, of His Holy Spirit and anointed them to lead His people as He would guide them. And the Lord selected these servants to guide His people in very different ways. So first you had prophets. Well, what were the prophets to do? Well, the prophets were there to reveal God. God had showed himself to the prophets and they would reveal and reflect God and they would speak on God's behalf. You ever want to know what God's thinking? Let me tell you. And they would communicate his truths. So at times where God's people were struggling, which way do we go? What are we supposed to do? God, where are you guiding us? The prophets would step in and say, well, through visions and dreams, this is what God wants me to do. Well, God also appointed priests. And, and what were the priests to do? Well, the priests officiated worship as people came together. And they offered sacrifices to God on behalf of God's people. So he was the one that helped brought about reconciliation of God's people to their heavenly father. And, and finally, we had kings. Well, what was it that the kings did? Well, the kings were really there to govern. They ruled and reigned over God's people and served as his ambassador. Would serve as, this is where God wants us to go. I'm going to be out in the front leading us and governing God's people. Well, Scripture reveals that only King David, the second king of Israel, and Jesus served all three functions as prophet, priest, and king. You're like, okay, well that, that's really interesting. Others will say, what about Moses? Didn't Moses also serve all three functions? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, we see in Psalms chapter 99 and verse 6 that Moses is described as a priest. And he's also called a prophet in Deuteronomy 34 and verse 10. So, did he serve all three functions? Because he definitely led the people. Well, in Micah chapter 6 and verse 4, the Lord says this about Moses and about the setup of leadership. He says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from Egypt. And I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron the priest and Miriam the prophet or prophetess. So, yes, Moses served all three functions, but he also had his older sister and older brother there as kind of a trio of God's leadership for the people. So they served each according to their gifts and their calling. So if we look at this, who would serve as, as the king? Well, that's definitely Moses. Moses wasn't a king, but he was a point person over Israel. And so whenever the cloud would move during the day or the fireball at night, Moses was like, okay, gather up the tents. Let's go. Everyone get in line. Reuben, you get your crew over here. Simeon, bring your tribe. And let's go. And so Moses was out front. Moses was also the lawgiver who spent time with the Heavenly Father and relayed God's commands. Well, the priest, Aaron, was there as a spiritual intercessor. 
And, and we see with his whole, what happened with the golden calf, maybe he wasn't as strong as leaders he needed to be, but he was there to offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people. And finally, a prophet or prophetess, Miriam, who spoke uh, into the visions and dreams that God had, had given to her to teach the people. Well, the trouble comes in Numbers chapter 11. Apparently, things have been clicking along, but after a while, the people kind of got tired of what was on the menu. Because every day, God provided one thing, and that's called manna. Well, okay, so every morning they got up and they had manna. Well, what exactly was this manna? Well, it's described by scholars that it looked like resin. Okay, tell me which part of this sounds appetizing to you. Not only did it look like resin, it had the consistency and felt like mortar between bricks. Okay, and then they would kind of scoop it up, and then as they baked it, they would taste it, and it goes, well, it kind of tastes like olives. Oh, every day, every meal. So the people are like, can we have something other than manna? And they started grumbling, and some even crossed a line. So Moses went and interceded on behalf of the people before God and said, God, man, ain't cutting it anymore. We got to do something different. So God did three things. Number one, he prepared for some meat to come in in the form of quail that was stacked up about waist high. But number two, he got rid of those that were complaining and were turning the hearts of the people away from God and away from God's mission. But the final thing that he did is he got Moses aside. He said, listen, there's just three of you. They're trying to do this, and there's thousands upon thousands of people. He said, I want you to go appoint 70 leaders from all the tribes that are well-respected so that they can be an extension of the ministry you guys are providing. So Moses went out and appointed 70 leaders, and, and he asked them all to come to the tent of meeting. And so as they gathered there, the Lord's presence came down upon them, and it was incredible. The Lord's Spirit filled these, these leaders, and they immediately, for a one-off experience, started prophesying. And so what's interesting, the story tells us two of the guys either didn't get the memo or they weren't feeling well, or they slept in, because two of the guys were still back at camp, but they still received a portion of God's Spirit, and they got up out of their tents and walked out and started prophesying. Well, word spreads throughout all of Israel that something's going on, and Joshua runs up to Moses and says, Moses, you need to understand God is empowering more people, and this is going to take away from what you're able to do. Moses, known as the most humble man in all of Scripture, says, Oh, Joshua, thank you for being protective of me. Oh, that God would appoint every one of us as prophets that can prophesy and share his word and be filled with the Spirit. So that's what he asked upon him. Okay, so Moses is happy with what God has chosen to do. Guess who's not happy? the 71st prophet or prophetess Miriam. She's like, that was my job. That's what I was gifted to do. So instead of taking her displeasure to God or even to Moses, she go, goes and grabs her other brother Aaron and starts 
spewing some venom. So Miriam goes to complain to Aaron, and this is what she says in Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Miriam and Aaron, I think it was more as we'll see, Miriam who's doing an Aaron's nodding, uh, spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. Okay, what does this have to do with anything? Okay, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Okay, what's, or who were the Cushites? What does it mean to be a Cushite? Well, in Egyptian literature and all of the Old Testament, the Cushites are equated with the Ethiopians. So they were used interchangeably. So basically, Moses had married an African and took her as his bride. So whether Zipporah, his first wife, had died or Moses just chose to take on a second bride uh, later in life, we don't know. But what Miriam is talking about is her skin color and her nationality. And in Jeremiah 13 and verse 23, this is what the prophet Jeremiah says. Can the Ethiopian, or also what we've talked about, a Cushite in some translation, can the Ethiopian or Cushite change their skin or the leopardous spots? So that's the context of what Miriam is bringing up. That's what she's talking about. So a translation of what she's sharing with Aaron that the Lord listens in on is this. Aaron, what's so special about Moses? Why did he get to pick the 70 elders to guide the people? God uses me and he uses you as well. It's not just Moses that gets to speak on behalf and to all the people. You know, besides all that, he married an Ethiopian. Well, God heard this and he was displeased. He calls Moses and Miriam and Aaron and he says, we're nipping this in the bud. This has got to stop. I want all three of you to meet me at the tent of meeting. And so all three go in and they stand by the entrance. And the Lord comes down in a giant pillar of a cloud. And he calls just Miriam and Aaron to step forward. Moses, stay where you are. So you can see them kind of pulling back the entrance. And they walked out into the presence of God. And this is what he says in Numbers chapter 12 in verse 6. He says, I want you to listen to my words. I'm not going to say it twice. Where there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. Miriam, you should understand this. This is how you communicate as a prophetess before my people. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 7 and 8 to say this. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He's different. He's unique. I've gifted him and challenged him in a different way. He is faithful in all my house. There's no one like him. With him I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. What, what, what's different about him? Well, he is unique. He is someone who is completely different. He sees the form and the face of God. 
Why were you then afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Why were you doing this? What caused you to speak out against him? So clearly God is upset that they were calling Moses' authority into question. But that's not the only thing he's upset about. There was something else that caused his anger to boil. When God departed from their presence after talking about these things, and the smoke clears, Aaron looked over at his sister and said, Oh my, something has happened. In his anger at Miriam, God says in effect, If you've got a problem with the ethnicity of Moses' wife and the color of her skin, look what I can do to your skin, Miriam. And Numbers 12 and verse 10 says this, When the cloud was removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. She had turned white as a sheet. God says not a critical word about Moses for marrying the Cushite woman, but he had a great offense at what Miriam had chosen to do and the criticism she had extended in the name of race, and he strikes her skin white with leprosy. In essence, what God was saying is, Miriam, if you're going to be a prophetess, if you're going to speak on my behalf or for the people, these sentiments are not from me. This is not my message. This is coming from your villain side. This is coming from your carnal side. This is of Satan and not from me. I'm not going to let this deadly disease go back and, and allow it to kill you. I'm not going to allow you to feel the full effect of this. But I want you to go out for seven days outside of the camp. And I want you to experience this leprous condition. And I want you to think about the severity of the words that you have thrown out on this day. You know, the same righteous indignation is what we see with Paul coming in and confronting his brother Peter. We see in Galatians chapter 2 that Peter came into Antioch. And this was a church that had been set up on the mission field. And he gathered together with both Jews and, and Gentiles. And it was great. And he's experienced this new reality where race doesn't matter. Where ethnicity is, is pushed to the side. And he ate with those that were uncircumcised. And as these that are coming from a more conservative church in Jerusalem come to dine, Peter chooses to take a step back from his Gentile brothers and sisters. And he, he made a decision only to dine with those that were still practicing the law. He didn't want these folks that he had spent time with in Jerusalem to think that, Peter, you've gone soft on the law here. We're still kind of making this distinction here. Paul says, that's not the church that Jesus died for. My message in every church that I'm setting up is this this community is different than the world around you. It's a community that transcends race. It's a community that transcends gender. It's a community that transcends economic barriers saying 
none of that matters. And when you come in here, none of these distinctions that are causing people to fight in the streets and to tear up things and to attack one another, none of that matters among followers of Jesus because we're all leveled at the base of the cross. Our communities are respites from that division. You know, I can preach in theory, and that's easy. What are we going to do about this? I've asked Anthony O'Neill and Alicia George to come up and share with us just a little bit. We had a time of racial reconciliation, at least starting a discussion this past Thursday as a congregation. And I appreciated some of the things that were shared there, but we've still got a long ways to go. And so I, I want to give just a little bit of context. Anthony, you and your wife, uh, Rolanda, have been at High Point for a little over a year. Uh, so you guys came to us. Uh, State Farm brought you here from Atlanta. But just anything you want to share, you have two grown boys that are in Atlanta right now, which is kind of a scary place with what's going on. But anything you want to share about kind of your background and coming to High Point? Well, as you stated, Brad, State Farm brought me here, and we've been here for about a year. Um, we have two boys um, back in Atlanta, one's 28, one's 21. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of unrest um, with my family and I, with, with our kids being there and, and society as a whole. Um, but, you know, as in the discussion that we had Thursday, I thought it was a very, very, um, it, it was a different opportunity for us to share some, some thoughts and share some feelings um, about what's going on in our society. And I'm sure we'll discuss that a little bit more here. But again, we've been here you know, for a little over a year. It's been a, been a, been a great experience for my wife and I. Um, it's been a very inviting um, atmosphere and environment and we sincerely appreciate that. So we look forward to having this conversation. You've been with us for about seven years. So yes, Alicia, years. so uh, you've been here, this is Alicia George, and you are a nurse, but mm -hmm. you're also, on top of your day job, you're doing what? You're going to school for what? Yes, I had the brilliant idea of going back to school. Um, so I'm working on my master's as a family nurse practitioner. Okay, so fantastic, and we applaud you for doing that. And thank you for sticking around. <laughs> yes, she came when Don Hebbard was kind of her interim, and I said, and you stuck around anyway when I came. So, I thought awesome. I'd give you a chance. Awesome. <laughs> so I know I was devastated when I watched the George Floyd video. Um, just watching the murder of a, of a man, uh, Share with me your thoughts as you saw his life just simply, uh, just senselessly slip away in that. Share kind of where, where I can't understand. You know, Brad, it, I've had a lot of mixed emotions as it relates to the death of George Floyd. When I watch that video, and I've watched it on, on numerous occasions, it's almost like a different emotional experience for me each time I watch it. Um, but the very first time I watched it, um, just to be totally transparent, as an African-American male, I was very angry with what I saw. Um, it triggered um, some feelings for me based on some experiences. I grew up in a small town in Alabama. Um, so it, it, it triggered some experiences that I've personally had with law enforcement um, 35 years ago. Um, so it triggered a lot of emotions for me. 
Um, um, secondly, I, I just can't understand when we think about the human race and we think about how important we are and how we're to demonstrate love to each other. I, I don't understand how the other officers that were there took no action. Um, that, that was something that crossed my mind. And, and the third thought that crossed my mind um, was, again, based on some of my previous experiences, when he called out for his mom, you know, I thought about maybe some of the fears that my mom experienced with me, um, you know, back when I was growing up, um, you know, back in Alabama. I, 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 just, I just can't imagine some of the, the, the fears that she had to experience and wondering, hey, is everything going to be, you know, all right with, with Anthony um, based on some of the, you know, interactions that, that, I, that I was a part of. How about you, Alicia? When I heard about um, George Floyd, my first thought was, here's another one. Yeah. And it probably took me about a week before I actually watched the video. Yeah. I didn't want to look at it because I've seen too many more before that. And so when I did finally look at the video and I saw, you know, what had transpired, my first thought was, you know, as a nurse, we, we are trained and we are called to preserve life. Yep. I currently work in an operating room. So what we do is we save and we change lives. And so my first thought was, how can you have such disregard for a person. Yep. How can you not stop and think, what am I doing to this life? And then I thought about, I thought about how this man lying on the ground wasn't just a proposed criminal for whatever his charges were going to be had he lived, but that this was a man who was a father He's a son, he's a friend, he's an employee, he is a part of society, and this man was killed and murdered not because he committed a, committed a crime, not because he died of heart disease, not because you know he died of natural causes, he died because he was black. And you can look at it any way that you want to, but that's the reality of it. And it made me fearful for my father, who is, well, he's the best guy ever, coming from his daughter, it's a biased opinion, but he's the best, best man ever, well-respected, well-loved. But now I'm fearful for him when he gets in his car and he drives somewhere. Angry. Yeah. And at this point, something's got to change. Yeah, and it's just as image bearers that we're all reflective of our Heavenly Father, and to divide in this way, it just, it sickens me. Tony Dungy said this this week. He said, today we're a divided country. We're divided racially, politically, and socioeconomically. And Satan is laughing at us because that's exactly what he wants. He wants dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred to help his kingdom flourish. And that's exactly what's going on. And then he asks the question, well, then what's the answer? 
And he says, we as Christians have to come to the forefront and demonstrate the qualities of Jesus Christ, the one that we follow. We can't be silent. And it can't just be the African-American churches. It has to be all churches taking a stand and saying, we're going to be on the forefront of meaningful dialogue and also meaningful change. What do you think of Coach Dungy's remarks? Because in, in some ways he answers the question that came out of Thursday night's meeting is, our, our hearts are broken, what are our next steps? How do we make a difference? How do we as Christians tell a different story than what we're seeing in the world? Well, I absolutely agree with, with Tony Dungy's comments here. And, and as you stated, we, we kind of touched on this on Thursday night. Um, I, I just think that as a Christian and these values and beliefs that we profess that are part of our lives and, and what we strive to do and strive to be from a Christ-like perspective, we, we have a challenge right now. Um, and I think we have an excellent opportunity to display uh, those values and beliefs that we're professing. Um, I, I read a book by Aubrey Johnson that's titled consider one another. And, and in one of his chapters, he talked about showing compassion. And I think that that's, that's one element that we're going to have to demonstrate. But in his talking about showing compassion, he mentioned um, having the courage to cross over. And he used the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he kind of focused on the phrase, the other side. Yep. Um, and I think that we're going to have to seize this opportunity to, to engage in some conversations that are not going to be comfortable. Yep. But if we're going to learn to love each other, learn to display these values and these Christian beliefs that we're professing, we're going to have to take that step. And as we know here, you know, we, we, we continuously talk about growing, connecting, and serving. And I think this is going to be an opportunity for us and it's incumbent upon us to, to do so. I mean, every, it seems like every 24 hours we have something. We, we had the, the um, incident that occurred in Atlanta last night. We have these different social media responses. I just think we've got an excellent opportunity here, and, and my prayer is that we will, we will seize that opportunity. But we're going to have to really take advantage of getting to know each other and, and learning the other side and, and learning that perspective. To answer that question, I have a little bit of a, it's a short story, but um, there was a man who had a wife, and every time she cooked ham, she would cut off the ends of the ham, both ends. So one day he finally asked her, he said, uh, honey, why do you cut off the ends of the ham? And she said, well, that's what my mother taught me. So one day he went to his mother-in-law, and he said, you know, your daughter, my wife, whenever she cooks ham, she cuts off the ends of the ham. She said that you taught her how to do that. Why, why do you do it? And his mother-in-law said, well, that's how my mother taught me. So he said, okay. So he went to the, the, the grandmother of his wife, his mother-in-law's mother, and he said, uh, your granddaughter, my wife, uh, your, your daughter, my mother-in-law, they both cut off the ends of the ham, and they said that, you know, you taught them to do that. Why do you do that? She said, well, 
went to the store one day to get a ham, and when I brought it home, the ham was too big for my pan that I was going to cook it in. So in order for it to fit, I had to cut off both ends of the ham. That's right. What's my point? The point is, sometimes we believe things, we do things, not because it makes sense, but because that's what we've been taught. It's the same pattern. It's yeah. the same pattern. Yeah. So I, I believe that we have to be transparent with ourselves, that people who don't look like me, that don't look like Anthony, need to be transparent with themselves. And there's a question I encourage people who don't look like me to ask themselves is, why don't you like me? Why don't you like me? Is it because I'm naturally darker than you? Is it because my hair is kinky or straight or curly or coily? Is it because the way your white boyfriend looks at me when I cross the room? Do you not like black people because your white men are marrying black women? Or are black men are wearing, marrying your white men? Why don't you like us? And until that question is answered, until you peel back those layers and get past the, oh, well, it, we're all God's children, yeah. I left everyone, that's great and that's a good default answer. But until you are completely honest as to why you have a problem with African-American people, we are not going to solve this issue. And honestly, we are at war. And I have said this before to other people. We are at war. This is more than just me seeing you and you seeing me. This is a supernatural issue. And, you know, one of my favorite verses is Romans 8.37. It says that we are more than conquerors. And right now, we need more than conquerors. We don't Absolutely. need bystanders. We don't need people who are going to continue to be complacent. We need people who are going to stand up, who are going to be more than conquerors, who are going to be warriors and fight this supernatural war, whether it's out on the streets protesting or whether it's fighting on your knees in prayer, because yeah. we cannot do this alone. Yeah. You know, uh, I think each of us has an individual response that we have to say we're going to do things different. But also as a congregation, it can't just be that we say this is wrong and then we wait it out in the suburbs until a new news cycle grabs our attention on something else. And so I've asked Anthony and Alicia to head up a racial reconciliation team to help us as a congregation. Instead of me figuring this out, I, I want us to put together a team of folks that say, when it happens again, we're not going to say we haven't done anything since what took place here. We're going to start taking steps as a congregation, and we're soliciting help. We're soliciting uh, input from uh, a variety of different places and different people. And if you'd like to join them, uh, boy, we need some help as a congregation to say, how can we be salt and light? And how can our community truly be open to all? Let me pray for those things this morning. Father, you see people as precious and valuable. Lord, I, I pray that life, that we can see that each person that is alive is an image bearer of yours. If we've wronged someone and race is at the root of that wrong, lead us to reconciliation. 
Lord, show us, as Alicia talked about, our inner prejudice so that we can seek your repentance, Lord, and can change, change our hearts, change our minds, and finally change our actions. Guide us to act in a way that leads to true justice. Father God, forgive us for losing sight of that truth that you've created us all as your children. By your grace, help us to see hatred, whether it's initiated or it's hatred that we return, that both of those are simply tools of Satan that he is using to keep us from experiencing this fellowship that Paul was talking about. And Lord, that you inspired and called for and your son Jesus died for. Lord, help us to love the way that you love and spread kindness and mercy as we see your son Jesus did. In his name we pray, amen. We show these friends of ours your appreciation. Thank you very much. Miriam learned her lesson and was restored to her position as a prophetess in Israel. Numbers 20 recorded that Miriam died at the ripe old age of 126 and was buried in the oasis of Kadesh, right on the front doorstep of the promised land. So God brought about a healing in her heart and a reconciliation with her brothers. This morning, if you need the prayers of this church family, please let us know what's going on in your heart so that we can, we can pray for you. Or certainly if you, as we talked about with Wilmer earlier, if you would like to study more about Jesus, let us know. We will make arrangements. George would love to sit down and all of us would as well. We'd love to meet you in person or online, and certainly our baptistry is always open. But make a decision today that you're not going to live differently. Open your heart so that God can breathe his words and his truth and his love in each one of us. May we make a decision today to live differently as we stand and as we sing.